0: Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. Thank you so much, everybody. I don't know, I think you get to the point in life where uh, people are amazed that you're up and mobile and still walking around, and they just pile on the accolades, you know, and just... (laughs) So Carol and I are forever telling the donkey story, you know, like hey, we we're just the messengers, you know, we it's him that you're in love with. <clears throat> and if you see him in us, well, thank you, Lord. That's that's absolutely what we want. I feel so good here in this church cuz at, at this particular moment, I mean, this is the church family. And and you're not all entirely new to me. I mean, it's it's great to come in here and see Joanne, dancing away before the Lord. And and then Ned, uh, like one of my favorite drummers of all time, he's up there just worshiping the Lord on those drums. And, and the first member of this church, I guess, yes. And then Esmeralda just singing uh, under the anointing like she does. It just makes me feel like... This is my family, too, right here, you know. It's, we've got a long history. And uh, yeah, we miss Duncan and Kate, uh, but we see them often enough and talk to them often enough, and it was a real joy to see Jess up there going for it because we've known Jess since she was very little. And uh, she's always been an amazing girl. Wouldn't you say? Carol, yeah. Yeah. And Aaron, too, they were just so pleased with what you guys are doing. So well done to all of you. It's, and it's great to be a part of a healthy church and a healthy family of God. It really is. And, uh, yeah, I just want to talk to you for a few moments about some things that are important to get us through life. Because it's very helpful, I find, to have some idea of where we're going when we're going through life. So what's your game plan? Sometimes it's a little far, uh, you know, short-sighted in as much as Oh, if we could just get enough together to pay the mortgage this month, you know that would be a huge relief. Or you know, if I could just get a better career or a better job, or retraining, whatever. But there, there's a much bigger deal going on, and that is getting you and I ready for eternity. And the older you get, the the more apparent that that comes to you because you're not overwhelmed with the tyranny of the urgent, you know, the, the children need this, and the house needs this, and the car needs the other. Um, we are a part of the greatest plan that the world has ever been made aware of, and this is the plan of God. And I'm going to break it down into three parts, With the first thing is People need to know that Jesus is the Savior. And uh, I love the whole way it all unfolds. You know, God's looking at the world. The world is full of problems. They're huge problems. They're insurmountable problems. And so He comes, He comes up with a solution. And do you know what it is? He sends a baby to fix it. You know, see, because his fixes are generally not a quick, you know, overnight, here it is, boom, boom, and away we go. No, the plan is to send the Son of God. And wrapped up in that is the most unbelievable humility the world has ever seen. So you take the eternal Son of God eternally part of the Trinity. And he agrees to come to earth as a baby. Now, most of you know enough biology to realize that the moment of conception, um, that tiny new life is not very big at all. (laughs) I think the size of the head of a pin would be an exaggeration, right? Can you imagine the Son of God shrunk down to, here he is, in the body of a virgin girl named Mary. And so I don't know what kind of explaining they had to do with all of that, but anyway, he's born and raised and Not much happens until he's 30 years of age and he goes for baptism and the Holy Spirit comes on him and miracles begin. And in three and a half years, he becomes history's leading character. Without writing a book or writing a song uh, or any of that, It was everybody else that wrote books and songs about him. His name is Jesus. And he is absolutely the savior of the world. And uh, what a plan. Oh, my goodness. And see, why we need a savior is because God is a perfect God. Think about it. How many are glad that God is perfect? Just think about it, and then if you are, raise your hand unashamedly. I am so thankful that God is perfect in all his ways. Okay, but now wait a minute. What are the implications of that to you? We're not perfect. Okay, now we have a problem, a very big problem, Because he is so perfect, he cannot leave one stone unturned. He cannot leave one injustice uh, unsatisfied, unfixed, if you will. And so through our lifetime, through our learning experience here on earth, we accumulate a mountain of debt that we owe to a perfect justice system. And the Bible says not one are righteous, no one, not one. And so the Savior who comes says, But I'm willing, for the sake of love, to pay your debt for you if you would like. But I'm not going to force you. You can have hell if you prefer. (laughs) But, If you would like, I'll write off your debt. I love to tell the story about this young kid who was breaking into homes and robbing banks and all this kind of stuff. And um, he was caught one day by the police. And it all went to trial. The evidence is heard. And the judge said, young man, I find you guilty as charged And I sentence you to five years in prison, or you will pay a fine of $200,000. And uh, he said, well, I have no money. All right. Five years in prison. And I had a a class in Toronto of a bunch of leaders, mostly pastors and people that were taking our three-week leader school. And I asked them the question after telling that story, how many of you agree with the judge? And I got about 10% of them on the first go around. Well, wait a minute. How old was the kid? Wait a minute. What, what, what was his home like? What was this? What was that? And you know what? We found the sympathies lie with the perpetrator rather than the victim. And I had to keep up in the ante. Well, wait a minute. He 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 really severely beat a bunch of people and this and that. And, well, I don't know. I don't. And I finally got to where I said, "Okay, this kid raped 15 women and stabbed five or six of them. Three of them died. But the evidence was heard and the judge said, I sentence you to five years in prison or you will pay a fine of $200,000. Now there's outrage. No way. We got to throw the book at this guy. I said, Congratulations, you finally got in touch with justice. Justice is not what the guilty want to hear. But justice comes from a perfect God who will not and cannot. See, he cannot uh, overlook that which is wrong, or he forfeits his perfection. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. And it's not just that Jesus came and, and died. He, he was crucified. The most brutal a way of execution ever devised by man. Some of them lived for three days on the cross. It it was horrible. And the Bible says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And he, the Son of God, perfect in every way, never done a thing wrong, was willing to become a curse for you and for me so that perfect justice could be satisfied when he would stand and say, I got their debt. Put it on my tab. I'm paying for them. They owe nothing. And you and I were completely free. We went from nothing to everything the moment we said yes to Jesus. It is absolutely amazing to me yeah, give him thanks. And you know, saying yes to Jesus is the doorway in, and uh, that that opens up to all kinds of things like the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, where you and I get to be partners in reestablishing God's kingdom here on Earth, and this is the. Long-term vision, friends. It's not that you just get saved and then now you're trying to work out your own life because this whole life here is the most important thing. No. You are being prepared for eternity. How many want to be rulers of some sort in heaven? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over... Ten cities, five cities, he says. We've got a great future, church. All right, keep my eye on the clock. The next thing I want to leave with you is that the Bible is absolutely, positively, unquestionably the infallible word of God from beginning to end from cover to cover. Now that's a miracle in itself. It's it's, it's uh, 39 different authors and uh, written over about 1,500 years. Where are you going to get 39 authors to write something over, over one and a half millennia and the thing is in perfect agreement? Now it's not always apparent but as you dig into it, you find that the, that the, the conflict that you thought you discovered turns out to be an amazing uh, nugget of truth and blessing. So, how do you know the Bible's the Word of God? I don't want anyone in this room to take it on blind faith and say, the pastor said it, and that's enough for me, I believe it, and uh, we're just going to go with that. You owe it to yourself to prove it to yourself that this is absolutely the infallible Word of God from cover to cover. And any seeming conflict you have, dig into them and, and resolve them, and 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 you'll find it's true. But how do we know? Well, um, I listed a few things here. Personal encounter will prove to you that the Bible's true. The Bible teaches you must be born again. You really don't know what that is until you're born again. And then you go, wow, that happened to me, and there it is written right there. (laughs) And it's happened to millions and millions of people. They got born again, just like the Scripture. So personal experience uh, is evidence and proof that this is a true book and the, and the truth of God. Um, <clears throat> what else can I say? The term baptized in the Holy Spirit is another one. Physical healing would be another one. These are personal experiences. A lady came up to me the, uh, the, other, the other day here in the conference, and she said, I was healed five years ago at the 25th anniversary conference in Toronto. And she said, I was deaf in both ears, and I got prayer, and I threw away the hearing aids, and I can just hear perfect. I don't know if she's in the room today or not, but I thought that was great. But see, the Bible says that, that healing is for people in the name of Jesus, isn't it? And these things are <clears throat> evidence that it's true. But there's more. Um, archaeology will tell us that the Bible's true. You know, we've had critics down through the centuries saying, oh, well, this we don't believe in that. And a lot of it is fairy tale. And a lot of it is myth and on and on and on. You've heard it all. But then we had the Dead Sea Scrolls, discovered in, in 1947, I believe it was. And wouldn't you know that all the comments about copy errors in Scripture, and uh, you've all heard of the Chinese whisper, right? Have you done that one? Where you get a circle of people, and do know, 50 people, and you tell the first guy, whisper a secret. Now you pass it on, it goes all the way around the room, and by the time it gets back, it's something completely different than what the first message was. It's called broken, telethon in broken telethon, yeah. And they said that's what happened to the Bible because this got broke, that got corrupted here, there, here, there. And then they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls a complete copy of the Book of Isaiah, exactly word for word. I think there were one or two little punctuation things that were different. So you have to realize, wait a minute, God is able to preserve that which he wants preserved. And he's able to fix it. He's able to keep it. And so archaeology is huge. I I read of one just recently where somebody found a signet ring of Pontius Pilate in the ruins of Herodium in Israel. Now, it wasn't his actual ring. It was a copy made of made in uh, copper or bronze to one of his secretaries. And so instead of him having to seal every document, he had appointed secretaries, two or three of them, who were given a similar ring that would just be his, his imprint. And they found this ring. Isn't that amazing? And the, all the books that were written about, as far as we know from history, Pilate never existed. He's a fictitious character. All of a sudden, all that goes out the window. And then they found a stone in Caesarea that talked about Pontius Pilate, the governor, and there he is, written in stone. Isn't it amazing how they, you find a, a ancient piece of stone with his name on it, that somehow proves that he did exist, whereas the Bible, written and attested to by literally hundreds and hundreds of living witnesses, that doesn't count for anything. Friends, You can prove the Bible's true through archaeology. The next thing is through prophetic scriptures. Do you know that there is no other book in all the world that accurately predicts the future? Some of them might get... The odd thing they hit on, and and it turned out, one in 50, right, one in 30, right. But the Bible gets every single one of them correct. And so when you read Matthew's gospel, you read that it might be fulfilled by the prophet when he said, you know, he's going to be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's going to be this, he's going to be that. And, you know, one of the classic ones is Daniel chapter 9, where the angel Gabriel, no less, predicted exactly to the day that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on the donkey. Your king comes, riding on a foal, the, col- the colt of a donkey. Amazing, friends. And there are hundreds of them. I think there's about 1,800 prophetic words that have to do with the coming of the Lord, both past and future. And they're all coming true. And Israel would be a nation one day. Do you know what the critics said? I'm talking about the Christian-believing critics, okay? Israel will never be a nation again because now the church is the beneficiary of all of their promises. But guess what happened in 1948, May 14? Israel became a nation again. Whatever happened to all the books that were written about that will never happen and they just collect dust somewhere. You see, you can prove that it's true. So don't don't just surround yourself with uh, ignorance and say, oh, well, I believe," and you you have your story, and I have. No, I want you to be well prepared to take on the stiffest, brightest critic that ever you come across, and prove to him beyond the shadow of a doubt that this book is absolutely the word of God from cover to cover, fulfill prophecy. Probably one of the greatest things. Oh my goodness. And, and in that vein of things, there's this something called Bible code. Who ever would have thought that the Bible would be encoded within the text? That never occurred to me. And we had a guy in Toronto, his name was Grant Jeffering, so he was a prophecy buff. And he was telling me about the Bible code. That was the first time I heard of it. Oh, yeah, he said, in Hebrew, there's a thing called equidistant letter sequence codes. So if you circle every seventh letter, it it makes a new word, makes a new message. If you circle every 19th letter, that could make a new word. Every 49th letter, that could make a new word. And on and on and on it goes. And so, for example, in Isaiah 53, one of my favorite chapters, you know, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. In equidistant letter sequence code in the Hebrew text, actually going backwards from left to right, right over the part where it's talking about him, it says, his name is Yeshua, Oh, I mean, it's just incredible. And in that same passage, encoded in equidistant letter sequence codes is the name of all 12 of the apostles. Now, Isaiah lived 600 years before the apostles came to earth. And they're all there. Not Judas, however, but Matthias. Matthias. And you think, how smart are you? It's amazing, isn't it? Lord, you planned this thing. On, oh, I mean, you, you could you could get lost for a hundred years going through all those codes in the Bible. Um, but just go online just for fun and look at the one, the most. I think it's called the most incredible verse in the Bible, Genesis. One, one, about how there's seven words, and the, the, if you add up the gematria of the letters, it, it comes to a multiple of seven exactly, and it, it, it'll just spin you out for, for an hour or two just studying the very first verse in the Bible. And one more on those before we we go to point three. And that is Ivan Panin. Panin, Panin. How many have heard of Ivan Panin? One, two, anybody else? Okay, Ivan was a Russian immigrant to America. He came over here in the 1870s or 80s. He went to Harvard. He graduated with a degree in English, and he, he, was a brilliant scholar, but he went around the country uh, doing talks, and, and, and he, he, was, he was actually um, an agnostic. He didn't believe there was enough evidence to say there was a God, but this guy was brilliant in Greek and in uh, Hebrew and mathematics, And I think later he became a PhD in mathematics as well. But guess how he got saved? Studying the mathematics of the Greek New Testament. (laughs) I I heard that, I went, what? What mathematics? Well, he found out that um, sevens and multiples of sevens were a recurring pattern throughout the Hebrew text and the Greek text. Now in Greek and Hebrew, the alphabet is also their numbers. So A is one and B is two and C is three, etc. So in Greek is alpha, beta, gamma, uh, and and one, two, three. Do you follow? And similarly in Hebrew, and so he found that wait a minute, like when you read Matthew, it's like so from Abraham to David was fourteen generations, and David to Babylon was fourteen generations, and Babylon to Jesus was fourteen generations, and and so what is going on with the fourteen? They're two sevenths, multiple of seven. And so he found that in in any passage, there would be seven verbs, 14 adverbs, 21 adjectives, this kinds of thing. And when he totaled up the numbers of the totaling up the line, the sentence, it would be a multiple of seven exactly. Over and over and over again. And he settled the argument way back in uh, 1920, uh, that Mark chapter 16 is absolutely included in the text as proven by the signature of God all through that text. And he found that had something like 30 different constraints that verified that passage as divine. Impossible to write a narrative with all that kind of interplay going on. Ivan Paine, go online, order his, his Bible, because he reproduced the Greek New Testament with any copying errors uh, fixed based on the num- numeric sequences that he found. You see, the brilliance of God is put that in there like a, a hidden watermark so that you and I could prove to any skeptic beyond the shadow of a doubt. And Ivan Payton had a, you know, he was on the train one day going from somewhere to somewhere, and he picked up a newspaper from New York. And in this paper, there was this um, guy saying, I'll give uh, a million dollars to anyone who can prove that the Bible's true to me. So he took up the challenge. And and he, he sent it along to the editor, you know, they never did pay on the on their boast, <laughs> but he never heard from them again. It was so convincing that they just dropped the whole issue. And and one of my regrets is when I was in Bible school back in the late sixties his name came up, and it was going around the school. What do you think about Ivan Payton? And and the consensus soon became, you know what? The, the, you, you, the Bible is not something that needs to be proven. It's something you take by faith. And so don't go down that road. Just believe it in faith. And I regret that I didn't follow through on that because that is, Very, very helpful, I find, and a lot of people need it. So some people need to have that superstructure of intellectualism shattered before they can come to terms with the real truth. Number three, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world. And then the end will come. I want you to go back in time... To the followers of Jesus, there's 11 of them that are close, and they're pretty shook up. But here he is now. He's raised from the dead, and he's telling them, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world before the end comes. And you'd be thinking, really, Lord? I mean, we're just a handful here and we're behind locked doors and we don't know what to do and you're talking about leaving us and now what? I mean, that's, that's a pretty desperate situation, isn't it? He said, I'm telling you. Now here we are, fast forward 2,000 years and the gospel of the kingdom has gone to every nation on earth today and continues to go. And we stream the meetings that we just finished with our 30th anniversary. And they're out there for whosoever will. And if you miss the live broadcast, you can catch it on YouTube. It goes to the entire world. And we've all heard of the million soul prophecy from Bob Jones. Have you heard that? Billion soul, billion, sorry. One billion soul, when I first heard that, I went, oh my gosh. One billion soul, that's a lot. That's a lot of churches. Oh, a billion is a thousand million, right? So we would need a million churches of 1,000 people Uh, to handle that crowd. And uh, I was blown away because I I like to keep up with Gordon Robertson and CBN and what they're doing. They're just one of my favorite ministries in all the world and our friend Gordon. And uh, because of COVID and everything, I kind of didn't think of it, but I thought of it a few months ago. I said, Gordon, how how many people did CBN Ministries win to Jesus last year? And that was in, in 23, I asked them, so we're talking about the, the year 2022. So I want you to guess how many people, one ministry, won to the Lord in one year. And these are hard numbers. Duncan and I had the privilege of being with them in a leaders meeting where they went over how thorough They are with their counting and their statistics. So what do you think? Give me a guess. Come on. Think big. Did you say that? One million. How many think maybe more? 3.5 million. Go north. Go north. Six million. Nine million. Do I hear ten? (laughs) <laughs> All right. Hold on to your seat. 594 million souls in one year. Yeah. Yeah. The billion souls have come in, everybody, through one ministry. Half of them came in through CBN regular programming. The other half came in through Superbook and all the languages of the earth. And so India and China and Indonesia and Africa and wherever, uh, they're getting the gospel. I mean, that that whole Superbook thing, that was genius. Genius. Cartoons, telling Bible stories, and uh, children begin watching it. Next thing you know, their older siblings are watching it. Next thing you know, the mom and dad are watching it. Next thing you know, the family's a believer in Jesus. And they register their decision. But here's the point. That total from uh, 2022, is up over 10 times what they were the year before. So in 21, it was something like 50 million. And they've been around that figure, 40, 50, 55, 59, 51, 37. They've been Consistent through the years with those kind of figures, which are astronomical for one ministry. I mean, Reinhard Bonnke himself, 77 million in his lifetime with a gigantic ministry, very successful. But when that ministry goes over 10 times in one year, you should be saying to yourself, "Uh uh-oh. What is going on? Well, you know, COVID that we were all reeling over and upset about, and this and that and the other, it turned out to be one of the greatest capital uh, uh cap catalysts. That's what I'm trying to say: catalyst for the gospel, ever. How many think God's smart? He knows what he's doing. He absolutely knows what he's doing. But you see. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world, and then the end will come. And so this is not a message on the soon return of Jesus, but because nobody knows. We don't know. I don't know. Maybe we got 50 more years. Maybe. I don't personally think so. I know for a fact that I don't have 50 more years. But one day he's coming back read the, read the new testament it's on his heart it's on his thoughts he's not he's not preoccupied with trying to help you get through life oh yeah we're going to make sure you get a bit of trouble so that it'll help you grow and help you it it's all to prepare you for eternity he's always looking forward to that day when he returns, that day when he sets up his kingdom on earth. And that is the big deal. And if you have little children, don't worry. They'll do much better being raised in the millennial kingdom than you could ever give them here. It's going to be really, really good. So, oh, Jesus. So so that's one of my final questions. What's the difference in you and I reading Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, end time passages? What's the difference of you reading it today and someone reading it a 1,000 years ago? Because you'd be saying, wait a minute, wars, rumors of wars... Problems, nation rising against nation, earthquakes, volcanoes, all kinds of stuff going on, diseases even. What's changed in the last thousand years? The gospel has gone to absolutely the ends of the earth and to all the nations. And Israel is a nation again since 1948. And Jerusalem is their capital since... 1967, And so this could well be the final generation. That's going to put everything in perspective, you know, because whether we got a new car this year or not, it's not really going to make much difference, you know. But I tell you what, whether you know him or not, that's going to make all the difference. So let's stand together, shall we? Father, I thank you for Jesus with all of my heart and all of my soul. I thank you for my grandfather who when we were in a Billy Graham meeting and I was fighting it with everything and I, I could, he leaned over to me and he said, John, if you're not sure, you better go. And that cut through my stubbornness, and I ran to the front, to the altar, in the automotive center in Exhibition Park, Toronto, that day. And Jesus Christ came into my heart and into my life. And I tell you what, the next day, the sky was more blue, the grass was more green. Every person I met was a wonderful human being. And we decided, I'm, I want to live for Jesus. And we had no idea of life's journey and what it would do to us. When the sky fell in and we lost everything, that was, a, that was not a fun season. But through it all, Carol and I met, married. And immediately favor descended upon my life. (laughs) (laughs) And the next thing you know, we started a church and, and the rest is history as we say. We had no clue how God would use us. We're just two broken pieces in life. And you, the author and finisher of our faith, You rescued us. And in your grace and love and mercy, used us. And he wants to do that for you, friends. If you're here this morning and you have not surrendered to him or not fully surrendered to him, do yourself the biggest favor ever and surrender your life to him. Please know he will never force you. He will plead with you, but he will never force you. His kingdom is a kingdom of love, not force. It's upside down to the way the world is. We all need to learn to love something we never learned, the most important thing of all learn to love. And we thought, no, success is the issue. No, money's the thing, or a career's the thing. No loves the thing because that's him that's his kingdom so why don't you just close your eyes where you are and if you need him or you need to recommit to him and you know it just admit it to yourself right now say Jesus you are the way the truth and the life your word is true beyond the shadow of any doubt. And you're coming again. You've now filled the whole earth with your teaching. Thousands, multiplied millions are coming in from India, from China, from Indonesia, from Africa. And yeah, from U.S., Canada, Europe too. Because you are the king of kings. Earth's champion. I want you in my life. I want you as my Savior. Just go ahead and tell them. Because that's where it begins with you agreeing and choosing. I want King Jesus to be my King and my Lord. All right. If you just did that, uh, there may be one or two in the room who just did this, you came along with a friend, whatever. If you just told him, today I make you Lord of my life. Today I want you as my personal Savior. Unashamedly, hold your hand up and wave it at me right here. If you just did that, um, and there may be one or two. I don't see you, but if if you're here, wave excitedly and say, I just told him that. And then if that's you, quickly get out of your seat and come on forward. But God bless you. You're a wonderful church. We need to know these things, friend. Get ready. Get prepared to tell the world around us that they need a Savior. And his name is Jesus. And the Bible's true. And if you're smart, you'll go by it. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit CTFRaleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.